Today's Unseminary podcast episode is brought to you by Church Community Builder. I love how these guys help church leaders make and grow disciples by providing software and coaching focused on improving operational effectiveness. Church Community Builder provides leaders like me with insights into engagement of our church community, helping us close the gaps that allow people to slip away unnoticed. Visit churchcommunitybuilder.com to learn more. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Are you looking for practical ministry help to drive your ministry further, faster? Have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of others in pursuit of stuff that we wish they had taught in seminary. Buckle up and let's get started with this week's Unseminary Podcast. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. My name's Rich, the host around these parts. So glad that you've taken some time to be with us today. You know, here at Unseminary, the reason why we do all these resources, blog posts or podcasts, is that 93% of churches in our country are losing ground against the, the growth of the communities around them. The reality of it is most churches aren't, uh, you know, aren't really making an impact in their community. Well, today, we're going to get a chance to look under the hood of a great church. Actually, we've had a few members of their team on in the past, and we're getting to get an opportunity today to talk to Terry. Parkman from River Valley Church. This is a fantastic church. Um, I believe they have nine campuses, if I'm counting right, if my math counts up right. Um, About 6,500 people uh, in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. Uh, Terry, welcome to the show. Terry is the next-gen pastor uh, there, so really oversees a wide swath of ministry. Why don't we start by you telling us a little bit, refresh us about River Valley, and then give us a sense of your uh, ministry there. Awesome. Well, River Valley is a multi-site church. Um, We do have, well, we actually have eight uh, domestic campuses and two international campuses, one in Valencia, Spain, one in Swaziland in Africa. Mm -hmm. And then we have another eight around Minneapolis and the metro area. Mm -hmm. Uh, My role is as a next-gen pastor, and that's kind of twofold. I'm lead youth pastor, so I'm over all the youth groups and more over the youth pastors and developing strategy and systems. Mm -hmm. And I'm also over our school of ministry called River Valley Leadership Institute Mm -hmm. in charge of uh, developing emerging leaders as well as the leadership pipeline in our church. Very cool. Well, that's a huge area to oversee. Obviously, a lot of moving uh, parts there. One of the things that I appreciate about River Valley is it really does seem to be a fairly you know, vision-driven church. There seems to be yep. a clear idea of where God is leading your church. There's not a lot of ambiguity on that. If if you're looking for a church to kind of track with and get a sense of that, River Valley would be a great church to do that. But but there's there's another level to that, which is River Valley seems to be able to translate its vision into reality. That seems to be one of those churches that's, that it's not just kind of pie-in-the-sky ideas. It's actually, you know, making traction on the ground. Um, is that your is that your sense of it? Give us a sense of what kind of the vision versus execution stuff that's going on at River Valley. Yeah, so Pastor Rob, our lead pastor, is all vision. Mm-hmm. And the, one, the wonderful thing about him is so many times lead pastors get the, get the stereotype of being visionaries and then making everybody do the grunt work. But the <laughs> thing with Pastor Rob is he'll come up with this big vision, mm-hmm. and then he'll say, and this is how I see it done. So he's very much in right brain, out left, and then he'll mm-hmm. systemize it. And then he'll say, this is a pathway to making it this creative expression. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, he kind of, through his own personal leadership style, hits the wide gamut of everybody else's leadership style. So as we hear it, we're asking ourselves, where do I jump in on it? Mm. Do I jump in? this one so if you look at his vision like a train it's which box car do i belong on mm. as we do it it's already moving forward so that's mm. not the question the question is how what do we do to make our box car the best as it goes on that journey mm. and looking at it from that perspective um helps us to
to believe in the vision right away. So many people say, how do I get on board to make the vision happen? Mm -hmm. Well, if we assume the vision is already happening, because if God gave it to us, it's being implemented already, then we just have to operate from the place of how do I make this journey better? Mm. Now, I think so. I think so many people, they they would like to do that. They feel like I, I want to plug in on a vision, but I have a hard time figuring out what their piece of the puzzle is or how, you know, what they can contribute. Um, you know, what's that been like for you? Well, for me, it's, uh, I think one of the biggest things is knowing yourself and knowing your own leadership style mm -hmm. and being cool with owning it. You know, so many people don't want to anchor down, especially with this millennial postmodern generation, right. even post modern to where they're like, I want to be a part of something, but I don't want to commit to something. Mm. And, it, and it harkens back to our own process, too. It's like, if I say I'm this, then I'm also saying I'm not this. Right. And very right. few people are you're doing that. But once you're able to learn, own your own leadership style, your strengths and your weaknesses, mm -hmm. and celebrate both of them, then you're able to say, well, this is my lane. And mm -hmm. if I learn how to stay in my lane, that's where God is going to bless me the most, mm -hmm. is by, by owning the lane he gave me. In essence, biblically carrying the cross he gave me. Mm -hmm. And so it's very important to know yourself and to know your place in the process. And, and secondarily, to place your value on the table. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't place your value on the table, other people will do it for you and it might not look so that's why it's vital to know yourself and then right. insert that into the entire process very cool well you mentioned systems a little bit earlier can you help us understand kind of what is the place that systems i think sometimes we think ah oh, systems that's boring stuff how does that you know relate to vision how do those two fit together yeah um it's so important to understand this because vision uh, systems without vision kills mm. systems with vision brings life mm. and systems oh, System, systems aren't a period in and of themselves, but they're a comma that lead to an outcome. Mm. Uh, if at any time we become in love and married to the systems, we miss it. Mm. We become pharisaical. We become very law-driven. Um, and we want to make sure that we are in line with the vision, the heart of the law, mm -hmm. you know. And so uh, I, I heard a story about vision systems one time, and it kind of blew up this whole thing that God gave me. And it's, mm -hmm. it's systems are, in essence, this. Uh, they create behavior. Mm -hmm. So if I tell my daughter I want her to take out the garbage once a week, and every time she does, she gets a $20 allowance, which is ridiculously generous, I think. So if I tell her <laughs> that, uh, and she, I, it's time to take out the garbage, and I say, take out the garbage. Later, Dad, take out the garbage. I'll do it when I get around to it. And I take out the garbage for her, mm -hmm. and then when she asks me for allowance, I give her allowance. I don't have a bad kid. I have a bad system because mm -hmm. I just rewarded bad behavior. Mm -hmm. And so she knows I can get a reward for bad behavior. So I don't have a bad kid. I have a bad system. But if I say, take out the garbage, and she says later... And then I take it out and she comes and asks for allowance. I say, oh, this 20 bucks? Oh, and this is next week's. They're mine. Mm -hmm. How about you take out the garbage for two more weeks and then you'll get allowance again? I guarantee you she'll take out the garbage, not because she's a good kid, but because I have a good system. Mm -hmm. So, it's, And when I heard that illustration, it just kind of blew up on my mind mm -hmm. how to usher a vision into making it a movement, into actualizing it. Mm -hmm. And I see it this way. Vision, systems, behavior, culture, movement. Mm, okay. okay, vision. Let's go through the question. Vision, systems, behavior, culture, movement. Kind of in a you know in a spectrum there. Yes, absolutely. And and I've applied this to every area. Whether it's greeters walking in the door, people working your hospitality, um, people on stage uh, doing announcements and flow. Because mm -hmm. um, there's no anointing for announcements. So what kind of behavior <laughs> do I want to? <laughs> Do I want to create what kind of, uh, so I look at the vision God's given me mm -hmm. and I say, okay, this is the vision and I don't want people behaving this way. Mm -hmm. And so what many people do is they just keep yelling the vision louder and louder, uh, so hoping eventually behave. Mm -hmm. Our job isn't to, uh, isn't to yell louder, is to systemize the vision so that people mm -hmm. behave. Right? Mm -hmm. That way, if people aren't behaving according to the vision, I don't say I miss God and throw away the vision. Mm -hmm. 
how many pastors are more comfortable saying I miss God rather than systemizing it? Mm. And say, I, what I say is, oh, the, the behavior doesn't look like the vision. Let me tweak my systems. Tweak, 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 tweak. Mm-hmm. There, now the behavior looks like the systems. Mm. And in the next step, how do I make this behavior a culture? Mm-hmm. Still value. Whenever you speak value into a collective behavior, that collective behavior becomes a culture. Mm. So you have a worship culture because mm-hmm. people collectively value behaving that way. Mm-hmm. And because you speak value into behavior, it becomes a culture. Now, does a culture look like division? No. Well, I look at the behavior then. I don't look mm-hmm. at the system, but the behavior. No, the behavior looks fine, so I'm speaking the wrong value. Mm-hmm. Okay. And how many times do we change the wrong thing to try to fix the right thing? Mm. And so what this does is it holds us accountable. And therefore, if the culture then looks like the vision and then God blesses it, it becomes a movement because mm. you've stooped. Yes, right. So God's job is the vision and the movement. Right. The people's job are the behavior and the culture. Mm-hmm. Our job is the systems. Very cool. Now, can you give me some kind of practical examples how you've kind of either had to tweak some of the systems or, you know, you know some, give some practical examples of how you've had to see that, you know, happen at River Valley? Yeah, uh, one number one is uh, uh, worship culture. Mm-hmm. So consider uh, we want, and this is comes from previous ministry experience, current ministry experience. But if I want students to come up front, say God gives me a vision and say we need students out of their comfort zone up front worshiping, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I see it in my head. So I articulate the vision. When I first did this, my first year in ministry, my first months, I said, "All right, everybody, make your way to the front. Let's worship." Here was the system I had in place. Uh, the lights were up. There was no music. Mm-hmm. There, uh, for them to mingle, they were had to get up, stand up out of their seats, climb over one another, and slowly mingle to the front. The worship <laughs> team was coming out of the crowd, climbing up on stage, plugging in and clanking around and testing everything out. And I would just yell over and over, come on up front. And I got to a place where I said, my students don't love worship. Mm, right, right, right. I have a good vision. It's my students. <laughs> I realized it was a systematic thing. I changed yes. it. So I said, all right, I want to create the atmosphere for the behavior to take place. Mm. And so I said, all right, everybody, let's stand up. Find five people you never met before. Tell them what your favorite candy is or where you go on a vacation or what you want for Christmas. Mm-hmm. The lights would go down. The stage lights would be black. Uh, music would come up. Students would get up and talk to one another. Mm-hmm. The worship team would be plugging in, but nobody sees the worship team because they're busy looking at each other. Right. And when the worship team gives me a thumbs up, I give the thumbs up to the sound booth. Mm-hmm. They lower the music, raise the lights. I say, all right, everybody, grab your friend, bring them up front. Let's get ready for worship. Mm-hmm. And what it was is it was a lot easier to move from your location to up front than to climb over each other, go back to your seats. Right. And so people started behaving a certain way and coming up for worship. After that, when for about four weeks, I began to speak value. Mm-hmm. I said, the reason we get out of our seats it's because God is an upfront God and we want to get upfront with him. And so many times when I'm in my seat, I'm thinking about something else. But when I'm upfront with him, it's just me and Jesus. Mm. And pretty soon that became a culture. Now, so many people say, well, isn't that manipulation? Well, when I brought my daughter home from China, I adopted my daughter. Mm-hmm. Our, her, her bedroom was amazing. Like mm. soft light, soft music, colorful things, stuffed animals. Did she mm. care? No, she was a baby. But as a parent, I wanted to provide an atmosphere of security. Mm. Is that manipulation or is that just good parenting? Mm, very good. In youth or is that just good shepherding? Right. And so that's kind of one of the examples that I've used. That's very good. I think, you know, as leaders, our job, another way just to say what you're saying is our job is to remove the friction um, in the direction that we're hoping people will go in. So whatever it is that you're, in your case, whatever behavior you want people to, to live, 
out, our job is to remove the the system should be removing friction in that direction. Now, the mm-hmm. the opposite of that is true. We actually want to put friction in 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 way of people going in the direction we don't want them to go, or you know, to behave yeah. in a way. So you know, the way to say it is the main thing should be the plain thing. So the easiest thing that or the next step you want people to take needs to be obvious, needs to be strategic, needs to. I'll be super clear, um, yeah. you know, for sure. A changing direction a little bit. I, I saw something on your site um, around a program called Ignite. Can you tell me what is Ignite at, at River Valley? Okay, so Ignite is our discipleship process for youth. Okay, tell and me about it that. It kind of centralizes our, our small group, life group format. Okay. It really came out of what I, I it came out of my dissatisfaction for what was being produced in small groups. Mm. Um, and not just at River Valley. I, this mm. before I got to River Valley. Mm-hmm. But I realized that students weren't taking ownership for their faith. Mm. Um, and because of that, it, we have the statistic of 86 whatever percentage falling away from faith after high school. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it's their parents' faith. It's their church's faith. It's their youth group's faith. And what I found, especially in this generation, is we have people more in love with the Christian culture than we do the Christ of their culture. Mm. Oh, so good. when they leave their atmosphere, their context, mm-hmm. they're also leaving a Christian culture and going into okay. a place where there probably isn't isn't one, even in some Bible colleges, let's be right. honest. Right. And so because there isn't a Christian culture, they fall away from their faith. And okay. so what I want to do is I want to make them more in love with the Christ of their culture. Hmm. So what we did is we brought them together and it's a two-hour atmosphere and uh, we call it discipleship. And let's call small groups what they are, by and large, a relationship. Mm, okay. If you ask anybody and say, what are your small groups? And I, uh, what's, your, what's your discipleship plan? They'll say small groups. Right. Well, who's leading those small groups? Are they deep enough to lead those small groups? Are right. they willing to have the hard conversations mm-hmm. and maybe disenfranchise some people with the Word of God mm-hmm. in order to bring depth to it? And here's the thing, with, with a lot of small groups, they're moralistic, therapeutic, deist groups. I mean, it's, mm. it's very like, I want people to feel good about themselves. Right. I want them to know that they belong here, and I want them to come back. Right. So what am I removing to make that happen? Mm. So what I did is I made Ignite, because I believe discipleship flows down, relationship flows out. Mm-hmm. Jesus didn't delegate discipleship with his disciples. He did it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we, they show up. It's, let me just give you the format. Six to eight yes. o'clock, show up. We give them food, 6 to 6.15. They talk, and we have great music going on, and we have a couch pick kind of created in the center, so it's more conversational. They're not mm-hmm. in rows. They're in, mm-hmm. like, living room settings. Mm-hmm. Um, then they grab food, and at 6.15, they sit down, and uh, we give a few announcements, and then we say, what are some questions that you have that have been gnawing at you about the Word of God or what's happening in the world today? Uh, what do you want to know about anything? And students ask any question and every question. Hmm, we don't. We don't philosophically or even theologically answer their question. We biblically answer their question. Okay, yep. Um, and so we, what we want to do is not give students the answer, but give students the process. Okay. Because everything in our journey is about process. Mm-hmm. It's not about answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, answers have never made us make the journey better. You mm-hmm. know, Unfortunately, they haven't. Why did God do this? Well, that answer might not sit well with me, so I have to understand the process behind it. Mm, right. It's the answer behind, behind working out your faith with fear and trembling, with uh, being ready in season and out of season, and always having an answer for your faith. Mm-hmm. And so they ask any and every question, and we answer it biblically. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, uh, we kind of dive in into the topic, say Syrian refugee crisis. Mm-hmm. Big question that just came up. So we made a whole Ignite about that. Mm-hmm. And they asked about that, and I said, well, what about you? What do you think about it? And it's very rabbinic in that you ask a question of the question until the answer is plain. Okay, and right. Constantly lead them through a biblical thought process more mm. than you lead them to a place of an answer. Hmm. That Q and A, we break down into small groups, and we have people leading small groups. Now, the cool thing about our pe- our leaders leading small groups, just watch me 
answer questions through process. Right. So now they get to do it. We deepen that. Okay, what does the Bible say about the Syrian, about refugees? To love your neighbor as yourself. That when he said that, that borders weren't included in that statement. Mm. You know, um, well, what if they are terrorists? Well, God says that if we are already dead to ourselves and alive in him, then it shouldn't be about our safety. It should be mm. about reaching the world. So we really create tensions now because mm. a lot of discipleship is creating a tension and letting you work through that tension as opposed to giving you an answer. Hmm. After small groups, we go into a time of worship where we have canned worship, uh, stuff scrolling on the screen, prayers from the Word of God, and say, students, God's been talking to you about something. And mm. it might be something different for all of you. Mm-hmm. Go into prayer and worship and let Jesus talk to you. After that, we grab more food just to kind of hit reset mm-hmm. and bring them back for a solid challenge. And that challenge would be, who's the refugee in your school? Mm. Not just the foreign refugee, but the American refugee. The kid that was kicked away from his clique. Right. You're called to that person. And are mm. you willing to die to your reputation to reach that person? Very so, cool. Very cool. That's That sounds great. And, and now, do you do those... It sounds fantastic. Obviously, you're really pushing towards. I love the question-driven environment. I love like your, you know, call it the rabbinic style of, you know, developing students. I think that's fantastic. Do you do that at all of your campuses? Is that a, you know, you do that at a few of them? Because I would imagine it would be a, a fairly, you know, a, a weighty challenge for some leaders to lead that kind of environment. Well, and that's the thing. Um, I've been doing it for about eight years, so I'm comfortable. I, I wasn't great when I started. Let's be honest. It's very hard to think biblically all the time yep. without letting your emotion get into it. But it happens at all of our campuses, and all of our youth pastors do that. Wow. And my goal with my youth pastors is not to give them knowledge but competency. Because if we're going to impact the world and advance the kingdom, we can't advance the kingdom with our knowledge. We only advance the kingdom with our competency. Mm -hmm. So the journey that these students are are going from knowledge to competency to influence. Mm. Okay, we don't go knowledge to influence because mm-hmm. if that was the case, then all of our Christian debates and Christian blogs would win the world to Jesus. <laughs> right. So when we become competent in love, and mm-hmm. we become competent in truth, and we become competent in the Word, then that's where we begin to influence people. When mm-hmm. when you become competent in the law to show the sin, and you bring Christ into it, mm-hmm. then that's where influence takes place. And so I took my youth pastors on that same journey. They came to watch me uh, do Ignite for about a month each, mm-hmm. um, and then they started to unfold it in their campus, and then I go campus to campus, and I just bring little tweaks to the system. This is the Unseminary Podcast, stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Well, we're going to jump into the lightning round. That's the part of the episode where we uh, ask similar questions of everybody that's on the show. Today, we're privileged, honored to have Terry Parkman with us from River Valley Church. Uh, Terry, what is a, an online resource you're using these days that's, that's helping you in your ministry? An online resource, I honestly, man, it's not it's not spiritual at all. I love watching TED. Nice. TED Talks are yep. my jam. And this is why, because I, I recognize I'm not an, a linear thinker. Mm-hmm. So if I get a thought and an idea, it'll blow up a bunch of other thoughts that help me mm-hmm. to apply a spiritual mm-hmm. context to them. Mm-hmm. And so many times I haven't seen around an obstacle until I listen to another perspective. Mm-hmm. And that perspective has helped me to create a system around that. So honestly, for me, being a nonlinear thinker, I love listening to TED Talks. Mm-hmm. And then and then seeing where I can attach that into my current situation. Cool. It's probably sacrilegious to say that. No, it's no, not at all. Come you know, on, I can relevant podcasts, but mm-hmm. I think everybody says that. For me, it's like TED Talks, so. though. Very cool, very cool. What's a book you've read in the last, I don't know, six months to a year that's had an impact on your thinking? I love Artist and Soul by Erwin McManus. Mm. Um, love it. I love the way he thinks. I love the the idea of the freeing of the heart, the freeing of the soul, that you're created in the image of a created God. And when you create, you give him the highest form of worship. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I love that. It's it's one of the most important things. When we're in ministry, we become very man- managerial. Mm-hmm. And, and God has created us to be more than managers. Mm-hmm. And so it's so important for me to kind of realign myself into that mindset. Very cool. Uh, what's another ministry you're looking at these days that's kind of inspiring you? 
One of my uh, the ministries that I really love watching um, is just the way uh, a good friend of mine. His name is John Brown. He's in mm-hmm. Kenosha, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. Journey Church, mm-hmm. and uh, and he's been doing youth ministry. He's a veteran of the game, mm-hmm. and he's been doing it for a long time. The thing I love about it is his relentless desire for an emerging generation, mm, and cool. it's not so much in how he does stuff as much as it is the process of his mind, mm-hmm. uh, and and the pro and how he processes his heart and keeps it fresh because. Mm-hmm. It's easy to get bored in your context, and that's why I think a lot of pastors move right before God moves them. Right, and so I think John has very well has stewarded himself very well. So I just love watching him from a distance. He's a great guy. Very cool. Well, last question. I'm sure you've got a lot going on. Uh, you know, managing all those youth pastors, trying to keep on top of when you just want to kick back and relax um, and kind of enjoy some stuff in your personal life. What is it that you? Uh, what is it you do for fun? Well, on the side, I'm an MMA coach. Oh, wow. Nice. Very cool. <laughs> I've been doing martial arts my whole life. I grew up on an Air Force base, so my, my fix was to take as many styles as I could when I was a kid. Very cool. And then I kind of translated to MMA, and after mm-hmm. I got in the ministry, I kind of used it as an arm to reach out to a lot of a generation to where I couldn't be put in their context, but mm-hmm. they were able to come to mine. Very cool. And, uh, and it's a fun thing. <laughs> that and uh, family and Netflix, man. <laughs> That's great. I like it. So. Well, this has been great, Terry. I really appreciate you being on the show today. If people want to get in touch with you or with the church, how can they do that? You can check out our website for the church. You can, uh, you can email me, terry.parkman at rivervalley.org. Or hit me up on social media. I'm probably more on that than I am on my email. Mm -hmm. So I would love to connect with anybody. Very good. Thanks so much for being on the show today. All right. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Don't be shy. We'd love to connect. Check out Unseminary Inbox. You can sign up at unseminary.com and we'll send you helpful training resources every week. Plus, you'll gain immediate access to our exclusive members area with tons of resources you can use. Connect with Rich on Twitter at Rich Birch or through email rich at unseminary.com Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode at unseminary.com It includes links to what we talked about today and more. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Did you enjoy today's episode? Drop by iTunes and leave a review. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Join us next week when we'll learn more stuff we wish they taught in seminary.